All right. You can make your way back to your table, back to your seat. Uh, I said this earlier, but if you are sitting at a table by yourself, you're going to want to move to a table where there are other people. So you can be together. Be together. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, Clarksburg Church. Whether you are gathering in person or online, we're glad to have you. Um, for those of you who are just entering the room uh, or who are not here, the room is set up very differently than it normally is. We have tables, and on each table, there is some salty snacks. There are some snacks there that hopefully will get your mouth watering. You are welcome to eat those. Those are not being held in reserve uh, for any particular moment, but if you would like to snack while we engage with one another, uh, I just thought that that would be helpful. If you're watching at home, uh, you can go ahead and grab a salty snack of your own and you can enjoy it together. Uh, we're in the middle of a series that's called Fasting and Feasting. And uh, what we're doing with this series is we're trying to like engage with this thing where, where we're looking at trying to uncover what it is that we most long for and then ask God to satisfy our hunger and fill our emptiness. Now, throughout scripture, God uses food or the lack of food to actually uncover like our desperate need for him, our deepest longings and our deepest hungers. And sometimes God uses food um, to sort of satiate, satiate our bellies and fill our physical hunger, but he also uses food to reveal the spiritual places. He, he uses food or the lack thereof to sort of uncover like, hey, this is where you're longing for me and I can meet you and I can fill not just your belly, but your spirit. And one of the reasons we've been talking about this connection between our physical and spiritual hunger is because we are actually in the middle of the season of Lent, which is the 40 days that leads up to Easter on the church calendar. It's a time when the early church traditionally engaged in a season of fasting and prayer. Now, you might feel like it's kind of contradictory to say, like, wait, you encouraged us to, like, engage in fasting, and then you put, like, salty snacks in front of us. Well, so here's an interesting tidbit about the season of Lent. Um, Lent is actually 40 days, but if you count the number of weeks, it's actually 46 days. And the reason for that is because Sunday is actually a feast day. So in the middle of fasting, in the middle of sort of giving up something to God, you have Sunday, which is actually traditionally a day where you don't have to fast. So if your fast is normally like, I am not going to eat like um, whole wheat bread, then on Sunday you get to eat whole wheat bread. And if you like are like, I'm not going to eat chocolate, on Sundays, technically, according to the church calendar, you get to eat chocolate. It's kind of like this loophole. Praise the Lord, right? So, uh, so if your fast was salty snacks, guess what? You get a pass. That's probably like a really weird thing for the preacher to encourage, like, give up your fast, celebrate on, on Sunday. But, but that is traditionally what it is. Now, uh, just a reminder, I've encouraged you all to sort of participate in Lent this year as a practice, but I want to remind you that participating in Lent does not change the status of your salvation. 
Like it doesn't change anything. In a lot of ways, it's an opportunity to dedicate yourself to spiritual exercise, but it doesn't change anything. Like it's not like God is going to favor you more or God's going to like pour out more blessings upon you. Instead, what it is, it's sort of like taking the 40 days before Easter to intentionally pick up the kettlebell instead of the kettle corn, right? We've talked about that before. It becomes this opportunity for you to become more aware of the presence of God. And as we enter into Lent, I encourage all, I've encouraged all of you to sort of choose something that you could fast from during Lent. For some of you, uh, maybe you chose a type of food or a meal that you would give up each week. Um, but if food wasn't a good option for you, that there was some reason why that food was not a good option, uh, I offered the idea that maybe you could fast from staying up late or a type of technology or something else um, that you could just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this thing aside so that I can engage in this spiritual practice of God. Now, if you haven't engaged in anything to fast from yet, um, that's okay. It's really not too late to jump in. Um, if you do choose to fast from something, I'm hoping um, that it's helping you to sort of become more aware of God's presence in your life. Now, um, I'm not going to ask you to share if you did choose to fast from something or not, but I will share about my experience this past, during Lent, this Lenten season so far, um, and sort of uh, how it's going for me, what my, what, how my fast is going. I'll tell you, it's going terribly. Like really, okay, you too, good. Uh, this is supposed to be encouraging. It's going terribly. Uh, every time I come up to my fast moment, I like blow past it. And I'm like, shoot, I did it again. You've got to be kidding me. Um, and I shared with you like a couple weeks ago when we get engaged this, that your biggest temptation was going to be to fast in your head, but not in reality to sort of like recognize like, oh yeah, I'm giving that up, that's my fast. And then when it came to the thing, you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm acknowledging that's my fast, but I don't actually have to do it because I acknowledged it, right? I want to tell you that is the trap that I have fallen into every single time. I have acknowledged that I, yes, that was my fast and I recognized the presence of God, thank you, God, you're so great. And then like I go partake in the very thing that I said that I was going to fast from. And, uh, and so if that's you, I want to tell you, you're not alone, and don't give up. Like, don't give up. It's not too late. We've got four more weeks until Easter, and, and for me, I'm definitely going to renew uh, my commitment to fast during the season. And if you have struggled, it's not too late. And if you haven't started yet, it's not too late. Don't worry. Now is a fine time to jump in or, or re-jump in, um, whatever the case may be. Just go ahead and get started. This is an awesome time for us to engage in uh, this spiritual practice uh, leading up to Easter. So what I want you to do first uh, as we get started this morning is I want you to introduce yourselves to the people at the table. I want to make sure you know who those people are and you know their names. Uh, we're actually going to be engaging a lot around the table this morning. And so I want you to be comfortable with each other. So make sure you know names and you share your favorite salty snack. Go ahead.
right, one more minute. Oh, you guys died down real quick. All right, since you guys are done, I'll go ahead. Uh, so I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not a good cook. Is it, are there any people who would say, like, hey, I'm a good cook? Okay, you guys can come over to my house and you can cook. I'm, you're saying lies? I'm a good cook? Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, tell me if this is true. I am notori notoriously known for burning things. And... And notoriously known for making way too many substitutions. Uh, you got <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I know it to be true. I, I will start cooking something, and then I will walk away from the stove thinking, oh, I've got a second. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a 15-minute project, and like whatever was on the stove has totally burned. Or I don't have the things that I need to actually cook the things that I want to cook, so I'll substitute and then substitute and then substitute and then substitute until the thing that I'm left with no longer even resembles the thing that I wanted to start out with. This is just, this is, I just, I'm not a great cook, but what I have done recently is I have gone ahead and subscribed to like one of those meal subscription things where they send the exact ingredients to your house so you're not out of it. You have all the things that you need. Now, here's the thing. I love these meals and I found that I am an excellent cook with these meals, um, except I still burn them. But... I at least have the things that I need. But the other thing that I have found that makes these meals so tasty is the instructions at every turn. Step one, cut these things up, salt them. Step two, cook the meat, salt it. Step three, now I don't know that this is a good, like Georgian's even shaking your head like, don't do that, don't do that. But <laughs> let me tell you, by the time that I am done, these things are delicious <laughs> because they have salt in them, because they have so much salt in them. And I like eating them and my kids like eating them. The salt changes so much. Now, I have not put salt every time it tells me. I've learned that I don't need to, but it does make it really tasty. The thing that I am really good at is baking. I really love baking. No, I am, Georgianne. I am good at baking. <laughs> You're not. I'm really good at baking. One of, my, uh, the, one of my favorite things that I have learned is that when you're making chocolate chip cookies, instead of putting regular salt, like table salt, in your chocolate chip cookies, you should put kosher salt, right? Kosher salt. It changes, like, it's night and day difference. You never would have thought. But those, like, it's bigger kernels of salt. And so when you bite into the cookie, it's not so diluted, but it's like pow, pow, like jab, jab. Like, it's so delicious. And then you get the chocolate, and it's just, oh, my gosh, so delicious. Try it. Kosher salt makes a huge difference. And now when I have cookies that I've made that are made with just regular table salt, I'm like, that's bland. Like, that's not nearly as good. And I'm like, I want the kosher salt. I need something with a little more pow and a little more punch. There's something about salt that dials up all of the other flavors and makes it taste so good and so desirable. Now, my question this morning is to you is this. Do you, when you reflect in your brains, 
Do you feel like you are living a bland spirituality? Or do you feel like you are living a salty spirituality? Not salty as in like, oh, that guy's salty, right? Not like that. But are you living, or does your relationship with God have complex flavor and life? Or is it just kind of, meh? You could take it or could you, you could leave it. Does the way that you live out that relationship with God leave those around you, those you're encountering, changed and wanting more? Or are they just kind of like, meh, whatever? Because if that's what our experience is, if that's what our experience is in encountering the kingdom of heaven here on earth, or if that's others' experience of our faith being walked out, is just meh, then chances are we need a little salt in our lives. We need a little spiritual salt. Now, throughout the Bible, there's references uh, of salt that are sprinkled throughout the biblical narrative. Uh, the most famous is actually spoken by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, and that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus was in front of this huge crowd, and he began to teach about this upside-down, countercultural kingdom that had come to earth. It was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Jesus was declaring to the people like, listen, now that I'm here, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is not something far off that comes once you die. It's not far off that comes once we've lived all the right rules correctly. Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now. And that the kingdom wasn't just those, for those who were self-sufficient who had everything worked out, but for those who were in need. It wasn't just for those who were comfortable, but for those who were in mourning. It wasn't just for those who, um, who were, uh, it wasn't just for those who had gotten everything figured out. It was those, for those who longed for uprightness, who were pure, who were meek, those who were rejected. And then Jesus declares all of those who were listening, he declares to them their divine purpose in the kingdom of God. And this is what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You're the, you're the salt of the earth. Now, what I want you to do is there's little pieces of paper on the table. And I want each person to grab one of those pieces of paper and grab a pencil or a pen that's at your table. And I want you to really quickly draw a map of your earth, right? Not the entire earth, but your earth. Where are the places that you live, that you work, and that you play? What is your earth? So you can quickly sketch that out. Now, if you're like, I'm a terrible drawer, and you're like, I just need to do words, that's fine. You can do words. I'm trying to get some art skills in here. So quickly just draw out what is your earth. You could do a road map. You could do a symbol that represents each of those places. However it is, draw out where it is that you live your life. And guys, if you are joining us um, at home online, I'd encourage you to do this. Uh, there's something different about doing it just inside of your head versus doing it actually on paper. So grab a piece of paper, join us with this. 
And in just a second, I'm going to ask you to also share that with the people that are at the table with you. Mm -hmm. I want you to draw a map of where you live. What is your earth? Where are the places that you live, you work, or you play? You can do that in words, symbol, roadmap, whatever makes the most sense for you. All right, when you're ready, you can go ahead and share it with the people that are at the table. That's fine. You can keep going if you're not ready. I know. Two, two tables have very skilled artists at them, and uh, I know that's not very fair. <laughs> engineers also have benefit too, right? Like, you know, roadmaps, engineering, they can do stuff. If you haven't started sharing, go ahead and do that. If there's somebody who hasn't shared yet, give them a chance to share. Keep going. Keep going. You guys good? Good. Mm -hmm. 
All right, one more minute. Okay. Now, when Jesus says, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what Jesus is saying is you are the salt of that earth. Like you are the salt of the very picture that you drew. You are the salt of those particular places. You have been put in that place during this time for a very particular reason. That is your divine kingdom purpose, to be the salt of that earth. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. Let's think about what salt does. First of all, what it means is that we are agents of flavoring. Right? That's one of the key things that we know that salt does. As the salt of the earth, our divine purpose is to bring the taste and the flavor of heaven to earth. Now, if we aren't careful, you could hear this and think that as the salt, that it's our job to actually bring it. In fact, I think I said that. It's to bring it from heaven to earth. But the reality is, and the amazing thing about salt is that salt only enhances the flavor that already exists in the dish, right? In low amounts, salt can suppress bitterness in food and it can enhance sweetness, right? It doesn't bring a new sweetness. It just enhances what's already there. In higher amounts, salt can reduce sweetness and it can enhance savory flavors. Again, salt doesn't bring the flavor, the flavor that's, savor. Salt doesn't bring the savor. Instead, salt enhances what is already in that space. And so just the same, the kingdom of God is already at work and present in the places that you drew. God's already there. He's already at work. And as the salt, we get to pay attention to what God is doing in those spaces, and we get to alert other people to it. We get to point it out. We get to say, hey, do you see the sweetness? Do you see the sweetness of what God is doing? It's here. It's here. The kingdom of heaven has come. God's already at work in, pla- in, the, in the places that you drew on your map, and as salt, you and I get to enhance the best parts of what's happening. We get to point out how the kingdom has already come, how there's generosity, how there's hope, how there's redemption that is happening in these places. So at your table, I want you to talk about this. What are the attributes of those places, or who are the people in those places where God is already working? So look at your map and think, like, how is God working along my street? Who are the people that are already there? What is happening? And then with that, another way to say it is, what is God already doing in these spaces? And how can you join God? How can you be salt in them? All right, go ahead and talk about that for a second.
All right, one more minute. All right, 30 seconds. All right, we're going to bring it back whole groove, and we're going to talk about the second thing that salt does. Now, flavoring is probably the thing that most of us think, numero uno, that salt does. But when Jesus was teaching this to the multitude, they actually didn't think about flavoring. Flavoring was actually sort of this, like, thing of the elite. <laughs> most of the people that were in there weren't thinking of salt as flavoring. They were thinking of salt as preserving, right? Salt was a preservative. Um, for the place that Jesus gave this sermon was in a place that likely overlooked the Sea of Galilee and the city of Magdala. This place was famous for catching fish in the Sea of Galilee and then curing fish in the city of Magdala at a time where the primary value of salt was its ability to preserve food, to basically be able to catch a whole lot of food somewhere else or game a lot of food, uh, uh, hunt a lot of food, whatever the thing was, and then salt it and cure it so that they could transport it to other places around the world or to catch it when it was in abundance and seasonal and save it when, for when food was scarce. It actually gave a whole new lease on life for all sorts of different people, for people all around the world. Salt was there to be able to stem the decay of things, to stop them from breaking down, to stop vital resources from rotting and being destroyed. Being salt simply means for us as followers of Christ that when we see things that are falling apart, things that are in decay, we actually move towards them rather than 
away from them. It means that when we see someone's life falling apart emotionally or spiritually or physically, we actually move towards it and not away from it. It means that when we see somebody's marriage falling apart, that we move towards it, not away from it. It means that when we see our neighborhood falling apart or our city falling apart or our country falling apart, we move towards it and not away from it. And so I want you to think about the spaces in, in, the, in the map that you've drawn, in your earth. What are the things that are happening in your earth that you are, calling, you are being called to be the preserving, uh, preserving salt for? So here's the question that I want you to discuss at your table. What are you being called to invest your time, your money, your talents, your efforts, your emotions in order to stem decay, all right? What's happening in those places that God is saying, hey, you're the salt of the earth, like move towards it. Now, I know this can be really hard because the reality is that some of us, we have our own decay. <laughs> like we have stuff that's falling apart in our own lives and we're gonna address that and I don't wanna dismiss that. But there's also a call for us as the salt of the earth to move towards the decay that's happening around us. So go ahead, ask this question. Where are you being called to invest your time, money, talents, efforts, emotions in order to stem decay in the places in your earth? All right, go ahead and talk about that.
right, 10 more seconds. All right, we're going to talk about the last thing that salt does. All right, the last thing that salt does is it heals. It's an agent of healing. And so as the salt of the earth, part of our responsibility is not only to make the spaces we, we dwell in taste and, and be flavored with heaven, but also to preserve stuff from decaying and heal the things that are already decayed. This is the other part of our call, of our divine purpose as the salt of the earth. Salt is used to clean wounds. Saline solution, which is basically salt water, is used to replenish fluids and deliver medication. It can make our digestion, our digestion work better and our muscles, including our heart. In fact, if all the salt was drained from your body, your heart would stop beating. Salt isn't just added to our bodies to heal them. Salt is actually also added to the ground to heal it. Now, this is an interesting thing, and I was surprised by it because I had always been taught in school that one of the things that invading armies would do in order to destroy the land is to salt the earth, right? Dump tons of salt into the ground so no longer could things grow. Like, they couldn't harvest anything in the land. But... I also learned that if you don't have enough salt in the ground, nothing can grow. There's an issue of too much salt and too little. In fact, when you're turning um, manure into a fertilizer for the ground, one of the things you add to it is you add salt because it breaks down the harmful bacteria that is in the manure and it actually turns it into a healthy fertilizer for the ground. Now, for me, this is a really interesting thing. Think about this for a second. When there's too much salt in one place, it destroys the ground, and it tastes terrible. One time, my child um, made some dessert, and uh, instead of salt, uh, or instead of sugar, she used salt, right? Has anybody ever bit in, into uh, something that was supposed to be sweet, and it was actually way too salty, right? It's terrible, so too much salt can make us be like, no, right? Um, one time, wait, can I tell that story about the, 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 the salt roulette? Okay, in college, we used to play, like when you go to the cafeteria, we used to play this game called um, salt roulette, or do we call it sugar roulette? Sugar roulette. So what happened was, is when you were waiting to like be able to go up on the line to get your food, like you, you were in this round table, eight people, right? So you took eight sugar packets and you open all eight of the sugar packets in. You leave the sugar in all eight of the packets except one. One of the sugar packets you dump out and you fill it with salt. And then you seal up all the packets so they all look the same and you spin them around the table. And everybody, like on the count of three or whatever it is, you keep spinning, spinning, spinning. Everyone grabs a packet, and you have to just chug it. Like, you just, like, I went to a private Christian university, and this is how we have fun, right? And so, like, you just chug it as fast as you can, and you just, like, go for it, right? Well, there was one time where Zach got the salt packet, and it hit his tongue, and he immediately, like, ran to the trash can and started vomiting, like, in the trash can. 
Because that's what salt's going to do to you if you have too much of it, right? Same thing for the earth. When you have gathered too much salt together in one place, nothing can grow. It tastes terrible. And so sometimes I think about this, but if you don't have enough in the ground, nothing can grow. And so I think about this uh, as an as illustration for what sometimes happens in Christian communities when we, when we divide what is, Christian, what is sacred and what is secular. We take all of the salt of the earth and we pile them together in one space and say, we're only going to hang out with the salty people. You know what happens? Everything gets real salty. And it gets perverted and nothing new can grow. But likewise, there are sometimes other spaces where we as salt of the earth, we don't have enough salt around us. <laughs> like we need more people to come join us in the work and in the spaces that God has called us to. We need a fresh sprinkling of salt in these places in order to bring redemption, in order to bring health, in order to bring growth. And so I want you to think about this question in light of the spaces that you've been talking about. How salty are the spaces that you spend time in? Are they too salty? Like, is there too much salt all gathered in one place that it's causing nothing to grow? Or is there too little salt where you might need to invite more salt in? Do you understand the question? Is that clear? Okay, go ahead and talk about that at your table.
right, 10 seconds. All right, we'll bring it back whole group and we'll finish this out. So I want to share with you the coolest part of all of this. That when Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount and he's talking about us being salt of the earth, he does not say, hey, I want you to become the salt of the earth. Instead, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Like, as a citizen of this upside-down kingdom of heaven, you already are the salt of the earth. You don't have to try harder to be better. You already are the salt. And our calling is to just live out the saltiness that is already in you. Jesus follows up the statement of you are the salt of the earth with this. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, scholars think this is really interesting because what Jesus is proposing is this idea that, like, salt could lose its saltiness. And scholars and even scientists say, well, that's not possible. If it's sodium chloride, it's salty. Like, if it is salt, then it's salty, and it can't lose its saltiness. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, there's this guy that I was also reading about, and he's uh, from that actually owns Redmond's Salt Mines in Utah. And he said, well, that's technically true that salt can't lose its saltiness. He said, what is true is that salt can be so diluted, it can be so contaminated with an influx of other substances that the sodium chloride is mixed with so many other minerals that it begins, it's, it begins to lose its ability to actually perform the task of salt. And so one of the things that I was thinking of was like, okay, so we can't lose our saltiness, but what can happen is we can get so distracted and so busy with all of the other stuff of life that we begin to forget that our divine call is actually to heal. That our divine call is actually to move towards the things that are decaying instead of away from them. That our divine call is to actually call out and alert the people around us to the ways that the kingdom of heaven have already come. That sometimes when we get so busy and so distracted, we lose our ability to perform the very task that we are called to do of who it is that we actually already are. There's really only one way to remain salty, and it's to remain full of the one who brings heaven to earth, who stems all the decay of the world, who heals all of our pain and the world's pain, and that's Jesus. Now, it's no wonder that salt makes us really thirsty. If you've been snacking on your salts and all of the little snack platters have varying degrees of things like being totally untouched and then completely demolished, right? Those who have demolished their platters, chances are they're starting to get a little thirsty. There's that saying that goes that you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. But what I've also heard added is that, yeah, that's true, but you can put 
a salt lick in the horse's stall and you can make the horse real thirsty. And all of a sudden, the horse will begin to drink. It's curious to me that when Jesus meets with this woman at the side of a well who is longing for something more, who in essence, what we're talking about, she needed salt. She needed living, she needed new life in her. That Jesus actually proclaims that he is the living water. That those who drink from him will never thirst again. And so for those of us who are like being the salt, who are engaged in these places, what happens is, is we get thirsty. And we need to come back to that living water and drink from Jesus's wellsprings again and again and again. And allow him to be the one who brings us life and allow him to be the one that infuses us with more saltiness, to be the thing that allows us to experience heaven, to continue to stem our decay so we can engage in the worlds, to heal our pain so that we can help those who are in pain. So what we're going to do to close our time this morning before we sing our last song is we're actually going to pray together. Um, I know that I could pray for all of us, but I realize that we've just spent like, 30 minutes listening to each other's stories, listening to each other's context, the places where we live, the places where we are trying to engage in what Christ is calling us to do. So instead of me just praying for all of you, I'm going to invite you to pray for each other at your tables. Now, I know for some of you, this is an intimidating thing, and, and maybe for you, prayer is new, or it's not something you've engaged in, in, in with a group. And so I just want to let you know it's okay. You don't have to be good at it. Um, what's that thing like uh, you, you can be, when, you, when, you, when you're learning how to do something, you don't have to be good at it. Like, it's okay. Um, but I want us to take an opportunity to uh, sort of hold each other before God and pray for one another, to ask God to be the one that sustains us, to ask God to alert us to the places that we are being called to move towards, to be the salt of the earth. So let's take a minute and let's just, uh, at your tables, pray for one another. And I'll close us in prayer at the end.
Father God, as we go forward from this place, we ask that you would draw us close to you, that you would give us eyes to see the ways that you see the world. Father, we ask that you would empower us to be the salt that you have made us to be because of your son who lived and died and redeemed us. So, Father God, would, would, you just, um, would you just redeem the places that we're in? Would you bring healing? Would you preserve the decay? Would you allow us to see and point out how heaven has already come here to earth? Father God, we are so thankful that we don't do this alone, but we do this in community with each other. And we do this by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, would you walk with us as we head back into these spaces that we've talked about today? Would we be the people who are the salt of the earth? We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.